Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, everyone. I pray that you can hear me. If you can just give me a thumbs up, good. We have had just a few technical difficulties this morning, but it's really great to be with you. And on this Easter Sunday to be with my family sitting here and also with my brother Benjamin Wall as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that Mary is presented with on Easter Sunday, Jesus comes to her and you're welcome to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Jesus says, why, Mary, are you crying? And his question in no way skips over Mary's lament. Mary had lost something very, very dear, very, very important to her. And Jesus asks her, why are you sad? And his question is not a question to denounce Mary's emotions, but simply to redirect them. There is a great reason for her to be sad, to lament, to grieve. Even us today at some level should be sad. We should be lamenting and grieving what has and is happening. But at another level, we should also be lamenting and grieving for what has been happening in the world for centuries and millennia. It's the effect of sin and death. But we who are in Christ, we who have tasted of salvation, we who believe that the Lord Jesus Christ conquered sin and death, our grieving is temporary. So if you would, let's pray as we begin today. Lord, we do thank you for the power and the meaning of this day, that in spite of the world's problems, we are gathered together to hear your word, to celebrate your presence, and to be reminded of the power of the resurrection at work in us, raising Jesus from the dead. And we gather and celebrate with nearly 3 billion people around the world who are also saying the Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. So I pray that you would be our teacher, that this short and very simple but very profound passage in John chapter 20 might remind us of the power of the resurrection in our lives as well. And so we pray that you would guard the technology to do this service and that you would bless these words. And I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can't say that this uh, feels, um, or this feels a little awkward at some level to preach this way. I'm looking at a screen and seeing some of you, and I'm looking at a church with about seven or eight people in it. Um, But yet, we know that the power of God's word is it goes forth and it it accomplishes its purposes. So this morning, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. It's early in the morning and Mary has gone to the tomb. And she found the stone rolled away and she went back and got other disciples. And they come back in an Olympic level race to see what's going on. And as the disciples leave, Mary is left in despair. Can you place yourself in Mary's spot? 
this man, Jesus, who came from Galilee, affected her in a way that no person could do. Think about someone or somebody who has had a deep level of effect on you. Mary of Magdala, Magdala is the village that she probably hailed from, a famous fishing town um, in the olden days, is crying at this tomb, but she's quite a woman. She's wealthy, influential, at the same time broken and compromised. Mary first met Jesus possessed by demons. It says seven demons. Some scholars believe seven just meant one big powerful demon in her. Seven is like the, the emphasis word. But whether it's seven or one, Jesus heals her and he redeems her and he changes her life forever. By John chapter 12 in the same gospel that we're looking at today, you can see Mary worshiping Jesus at his feet and pouring expensive um, perfume on his feet and wiping his feet with her tears. Some scholars and church leaders debate, is Mary Magdalene the same as Mary of Bethany? You know, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, that trio. Um, And there's certainly all kinds of opinions about it. But whatever the case, what I see here with Mary of Mary Magdalene is this principle at play. And this is the principle. Listen to this phrase. Whoever has been given much, excuse me, whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. And whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So here we see Mary standing at the tomb but a changed person, redeemed. She followed Jesus everywhere, and she even probably funded some of his ministry during his lifetime. She knew grace at a deeper level, and her life became devoted to him and his work. It was Mary who stayed at the foot of the cross. It was Mary who was the first to see him. You know, in the battle about men and women's roles in the church, It was Mary who was the first to proclaim the crucified and risen Lord, the first to announce the good news about the very good news. But on this day, Mary is weeping, and her loss was great. Maybe you can relate to her. To lose something so valuable is heartbreaking. A loved one, a pet, a meaningful symbol. My senior year, after we lost a game in the basketball playoffs, state playoffs, I sat in my locker room and I wept. For about five years, all of my dreams had been about that senior year and that state tournament. And it was over. Years of practice, goals, hopes, and expectations, all gone in the blink of an eye. But you see, when you lose something that has touched you deeply, Deep down inside, it is even more painful. For Mary to watch Jesus crucified was pain like no other. Think of the two Marys in the story. Mary Magdalene and Mary, his mother. His mother raised him, loved him, and cared for him. Her sadness was also severe, but maybe Jesus' mother's sadness was tempered a bit because she also knew the miraculous acts of God. Maybe her pain was tinged with a bit of hope. 
Another knew him for a short time, Mary Magdalene, but she was healed by him, forgiven through him, and restored fully with him. Her sadness was equally real and raw. So here Mary Magdalene is at the tomb, and it's the third day. Perhaps she missed the memo. In fact, if you look up in your Bibles, you see in John chapter 20, verse 9, it says this. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home. They missed it. Even on the third day, they hadn't heard what he said. Angela Kay will often say to me, I know that you're hearing me. I know that the words are entering into your ear canals, but you're not listening to me. The, the disciples were the same. Listen to what Jesus said. I must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Matthew chapter 16, famously, from that time on, Jesus began to say plainly to his disciples, openly, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer much from the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. I will be put to death. But three days later, I will be raised to life. Even Peter took him aside and said, now, wait a second. God forbid it, Lord, that this must never happen to you. And Jesus turned around and said to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You are an obstacle in my way. Because these thoughts of yours don't come from God, but from human nature. And I think the reason the disciples miss it, and it's easy for us to miss it as well, is this, while most of us like the idea of sacrifice, we don't understand why death was necessary. And this all too famous phrase, I believe Ryan Kildew used it, we've listened and we've watched through this Holy Week from Palm Sunday to Monday Thursday to Good Friday to the Easter Vigil last night, that our predicament is so great that one perfect man one God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, had to suffer and die to make us whole and make us new. We miss that. We consider our problem minimal. If I could just get a little better in life. Mary watched Jesus died, and with all that she loved and loved deeply and dearly, it was over. How could his death bring good? That's why Jesus' response to her wasn't, don't cry, you silly lady, didn't I tell you, you weren't listening, but rather one of truthfulness and honesty. Hey, Mary, it's me. Go and tell the brothers. Augustine, the famous author and Christian leader in North Africa, called Mary Magdalene, the apostle to the apostles. Oftentimes the most powerful response is not how something feels, but is it true? As Christians, we slightly grieve this thing of death in this world 
because we believe something greater is true. The resurrection is true. And now at this time of year, I watch this every year on the History Channel and other agencies, they trot out teachers and professors and historians, and they'll say something like this. This is the first thing they'll say. It is either a fabrication of men who for selfish desires or religious fanaticism created the resurrection story of Jesus. They usually fail to mention what happened to these apostles, though. What happened to Peter and James and John after they believed? In the early 70s, some of you may remember, some of us can read about it. We know about the Watergate incident when 12 men broke into a hotel uh, to basically um, gain an unfair advantage in an election. One of those men arrested is a guy named Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson became a Christian and a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and started the prison fellowship ministry, which has had a global impact on people's lives. Listen to what Chuck Colson said regarding making up or fabricating this resurrection story. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison, and killed. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years. Absolutely impossible. The second thing we hear during this time is the disciples and Mary, they so wanted Jesus to live that the memory of him in their hearts was in fact a resurrection itself. Kind of like I've lost that loved one, a grandmother or a friend. And I, I so want them to be with me that their memory is alive with me. And, and that these disciples, these apostles, they were not teaching a literal truth that Jesus was raised from the dead, but a non-literal truth. And every time I hear this, I think in my mind, Okay, fair enough. And I mean in no way to belittle the loss of loved ones and their memory and the power that they've had in our lives. Quite the opposite. But the Gospels tell us, the New Testament tells us, and history tells us that Jesus appeared to many people in the body. Sarai read for us earlier from Acts. Peter says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us. Even John and James and Peter, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Paul says he even appeared to more than 500 and even to Paul himself for unique purposes. 
And Jesus, is, and Jesus continues to appear to people all over the world. It's amazing. Before I got up, I was getting messages saying, Happy Easter from Nepal, from India, from Ireland, from Sudan, from Ghana, from Brazil. Why is it that all these people all over the world believe in this resurrection? Because they have met and seen the Lord Jesus in some way. This morning, I ask, have you met him? Do you believe in him? Have you sought him? Have you loved him? Back to the text with me, if you will. John chapter 20, verse 15. Jesus asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, that's another sermon in another day. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus says to her, Mary. He calls her by her name, Mary. And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And in just a brief moment, Mary's grief had turned to joy. But let me say some words that will bring an end to grieving. They bring hope to those in despair. They put all of our momentary anxieties into a God-filled perspective. Mary Magdalene went from the grave to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. I have seen him. Have you seen Jesus? Have you met him? Have you experienced him? I was first introduced to this risen Lord at a small church in my youth. I sat in the parking lot of another church my freshman year in college, and I was reacquainted with this man who loved me and the world. I have seen in the amazing faith of men and women who have yet so little but praise so deeply an experience of Jesus. I have seen him in the kind faces of Christians. I have seen him in tragedy and grief. I have seen him in the beauty of creation. I can say to you this morning, there is not a day that goes by that I don't see something Jesus is doing or has done. I have seen him even more during this time than before. You see, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not wishful thinking or a crafty concoction. It is either flatly true or it's a cruel hoax, wishful thinking. There are three things that I would like to conclude with this morning as we think about this resurrection. And I would uh, just remind you, I say this every year that I preach on Easter. And Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, if this isn't true, then you have no hope in this life. And if you have no hope in this life, you need to get as much as you can, as long as you can, and live it up. Because tomorrow you will surely die. Life is short. But if it is true, everything in me in this world has changed. 
So first, this morning, friends, what does the resurrection mean for me? What does it mean for you? Well, this is what it means, that this life is not the best it gets. It is not the final story. The end is not really the end. Rather, the end of our lives in Christ is actually just the beginning of an eternity. I'm, I'm being very serious and very pastoral when I say this. If the resurrection is true, then one day you will be raised. What do you have to fear? Think about that. If this resurrection is true, and one day you will be raised and be with Christ, what are you afraid of? In this world, there is nothing to be afraid of. You have victory. Yes, death is sad and loss and grieving are real. And I'm not glancing over them. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. But, but our grief in this life is minimal because of the resurrection is true. In another place, Jesus was teaching about living bread, bread that if the people partook of it, they would never go hungry. Bread from Moses, bread from above. And the people said, sir, give us this bread. And Jesus declared to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe in me. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And that, friends, is victory. And that is why this day is truly a remembrance and a celebration. Jesus says to Mary, do not hold on to me. This is how many of us live. We hold on to this life as as if it's all that we ever have. And we miss the reality that there's a greater life to come in the resurrection. And that life has already begun now in us, in Christ. That's victory. I've already won this game called life. For this reason, because if I die, If I lose everything, if the worst happens, I win, I gain. And if I keep on living, I win as well, because there's still much to be done for Jesus in this world. You really know what a person thinks about the resurrection if they are facing their own mortality. When all of this stuff happened, I had this thought early, I could lose everything. Everything that I know and everything that is dear could be gone. It could really go south. And yes, but have I really lost everything in the resurrection? 
This is why Jesus says to Mary, why are you crying? What have you lost? Who are you looking for? The power of the resurrection for me. Second, what does the resurrection mean to us? Okay, even more important than victory, it is power. The resurrection is just not assurance of a future reality to come. It is power at work in us now. The resurrection conveys this sense to us that God's power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. God is not through with you. Dan Alger and I sat socially distanced yesterday and had fellowship. And we remarked, we've known each other 18, 19 years. And we've watched changes happen in us. I've gotten bigger and less hair. Um, but our, our personality, our behavior, our faith, our life, it has progressed. And that's because of the power of the resurrection at work in us. Whatever happens in our lives, whatever challenges we meet, even the worst circumstances, God will absolutely fulfill all his purposes for us and his promises to us. Our lives might sometimes look unimpressive, insignificant, and even powerless. But look at what God the Father did with his son. He raised him from the dead. And I'm here to tell you, I believe this to be true. The same power that is raising Jesus from the dead is at work in us. God is actively shaping you and I and changing you and I, and challenging you and I to love him more than your life itself, for Christ is your life. The resurrection means one day we will no longer be broken, broken on the inside and broken on the outside. That slow, day by day, step after step progression of your life that daily incremental trust and surrender. That is the power of the resurrection at work in you and I. You see, from a very young age, we're taught this phrase, you cannot teach an old dog new tricks, except if the old dog has the power of the resurrection at work in him or her. Now, I will say this, that power is of little use if you don't believe the resurrection to be true. Lastly, what does the resurrection this day mean to the world? This is where Revelation 21 is such an encouragement. The, the writer of Revelation, John, says in Revelation 21, and this is the meaning for the whole world, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will deal with them and they will be his people and he himself will be with them 
and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be my God, and they will be my children. Jesus said to Mary, why are you crying? Let us pray now as we consider this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of the resurrection at work in Jesus. That a long, long time ago, in fulfillment of your promises, you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand, which means sin and death have been defeated. And that that same power at work in him is at work in us. Lord, may you change us into the very people that you desire us to be. For the best yet of us is still to come. And Lord, we pray that in light of the resurrection, we would not fear this world, its troubles and its trials. We would relinquish our anxieties. We would remember that you have conquered death and that you will raise us up on that last day. May the resurrection power and the celebration of it be true to us today. And we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.